like you said, Dennis, whether you're receiving on the tongue or in the hand, it needs to be received reverently. With reverence, absolutely. That's the one common denominator, right? Welcome, listeners, once again to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm Dennis. And I'm Robert, and we're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beers. And so why don't you pour yourself a pint and listen in for the next half an hour to an hour? Well, we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, how are you doing, buddy? Good, Robert. How was your week, That the week that was? The week that was. Uh, I'm happy that it was the week that was. It was always a busy week. And we're at term end, so th- yeah. those weeks are always a busy week. And I think it's a, a testament to how busy it was, is that normally we would go off on a Friday. We would record this on a Friday afternoon. But we were both so busy that we pushed it off now until Saturday afternoon. Like always, Saturdays are busy around the house and getting things done and whatnot. So I don't know about you. I'm a little thirsty. Yeah. And it's a busy day too, right? And we've got the Euro going on. Italy's playing right now. We've got the Blue Jays playing. But I'm focused on you and the Pints and Pews podcast. Okay. So why don't we get started? Or I said, why don't I get started? Because I think you've already started today. Well... The Polish beer, Polish beer jumped out at me, Robert. But yes, I, I've got it right beside me, and I'm so ready to go. The, the the beer of the land of Saint John Paul the Great. That's right, Saint Faustina, and many many other great Catholic saints. So, what is it that you're drinking today, sir? And this is Tishki, and this is from Tishki Groni. I think it's their one export. And it's about a 400-year-old brewery in Poland, and I believe it's still around today. Unfortunately, the brewery itself is no longer Polish. As you mentioned, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, how many of these breweries in Europe are now have been uh, purchased and swallowed up by international breweries. So this one is owned by Asahai in Japan, which I just realized, I think you might have mentioned it too earlier on, it also owns Kazal. Uh, Pilsner Aquel. It owns Victoria Bitter in Melbourne, which 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 was one of my favorites when I was in Melbourne, and also Lech in Poland as well. So okay, okay. So it's a, it, it is I a multinational. About that too. When I when I think of uh, Molson and Molson Coors, does Molson own Coors? Is this or does Coors own Molson? Is is it? I think it was Coors purchased Molson, but you know I really don't know. I'm wondering which one became got swallowed up by the other. I'm not. They both kept the same name, like Molson Coors, but interesting. Anyhow, so it's a big Japanese conglomerate, you know, beer, food, spirits, everything, and it now owns this beautiful pale lager, which is a kind of a crisp, nice, with a nice finish on a on a hot day, which it is. Although overcast, it is very humid out there, so it's a perfect beer. And I yourself? Was, I was going to say, regardless of who owns it, is it a good beer? It's a really good beer. So a, a light, crisp lager. Yeah, it's a real man's beer. You know what I mean? None of this. It doesn't so have a lemony, citrusy, you know, no little. <laughs> it's just an old-fashioned, good, cold beer. And cold, like those lagers should be. Okay. Really cold. Well, speaking of cold beers, I've got one here myself. What do you got going? 
So I have out of the Market Brewing Company, uh, again, out of Newmarket, Ontario, my hometown, it's called Bear Hug. And it's kind of their main IPA that they have, the Bear Hug beer. And there's a little bit of, I have a not a history with the beer itself, but there's a, a bit of a history with how I came across actually uh, this Bear Hug beer out of Newmarket. You know was, my feelings on the IPAs, but you like them on hot days. On, just... on, a, on a hot day, like you say, it's a hot, muggy day out here today. Uh, they're nice and crisp, that yeah. citrus. The, the, Not the... that bittery finish, though. I don't like that bittery finish to them. Yes, yeah, and that I really don't mind. I enjoy that that bitter finish on a, on a warm day. So a little bit of my history with the, the Bear Hug beer out of the Market Brewing Company in Newmarket, Ontario, uh, Which is just for our listeners is about a half an hour north drive of Toronto. Straight so up. Half an hour to 45 minutes. Depends on who's driving. Depending straight, on traffic, of course. Straight up the 404. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was going down to a Toronto FC game a few years ago. Don't uh, even get me started on the FC this year, but go on. Oh, it's just been a disaster this year. But this was you know, when they were actually worthwhile going yeah. to go, go and watch. And they were for a number of years. And there's a, a little restaurant in the neighborhood by the stadium. So Liberty Village, which is a, a neighborhood down in South Toronto, uh, just mm-hmm. the other side of the railroad tracks from the, the stadium, from the BMO field. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there they have all of these craft beers from around Ontario, across Canada, uh, throughout North America. They even have a, a lot of the Abbey beers from Europe on tap, right? To the point where the the tap menu is four or five pages long, and so when I go in there, it's just I find it overwhelming to look at a, a beer menu that that's long. I just I, I find it overwhelming, the choice overwhelming. So what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll say to the waitress, you know, tell whoever it is that's pulling pints today, because I'll get a flight of, of four different choices. Mm-hmm. I say tell them tell whoever's pulling pints today, I like. Trappist ale, or, or I like the IPAs, and have them put something together for me. And so this day it was a hot summer day, so yeah, I, I'd love to have some IPAs today. So, you know, have whoever's pulling pints put together a, a flight of IPAs for me. Mm-hmm. And the flight came over, and they write a, an abbreviated name version of the the beer's name on the the glass holders. And so this one came, and because it's called Bear Hug IPA. They had just written in front of the, the beer, Bear. With my name being Robert, Bear hmm. has been a, a nickname that I've had since childhood. And so this beer came to the table and I'm like, this beer has my name all over it. This is Bear's beer. And not only did it have my name on it, it was delicious. It was very nice. Uh, it's it a good beer. A couple of things about that. One, I'd be, you know... I'd be a little bit wary in terms of just letting them decide for me, because, you know, some of those particular craft beers that are unknown could be sitting in those taps for ages and you could have got a real flat beer. I mean, unless they go through tons of beers and, and they, you know what I mean? They use up all the beers. That's my one thing. The second thing, the funny thing about those craft beers as well, Robert, and you can attest to this too, is that like I could get a couple of this, Tishki beer, for instance, cost me probably, you know, 220, 240, but you get a craft beer, which is made maybe a half an hour, an hour away, and you're you're spending a dollar more. Yeah, this one was three and a quarter. 
yeah. per, per tin. Which is really interesting that you're going to... That, that being said, I find the craft beers are more flavorful. Mm. Well, I'm, we have I'm, really I'm not good... going to go out on a limb and say better quality because I, I really don't know all the ins and outs of the brewing mm. process. But I, I do find that they are more flavorful. Uh, and yet there have been some that I don't like. Yeah, it depends. I mean, we got some great, we, we go through a lot of European beers and you've got some great flavorful beers. In fact, I was going to pull out a Guinness today. But yeah, it depends on the craft beer. I mean, you've hit upon a cup. You know, I've been having a few Brock Street brewery, brews there the last few weeks. You love your old flame. So we do have a quite a few good little craft breweries in the, in the neighborhood type yeah, thing. And there's been a couple that I've gone out on a limb and, and purchased. Uh, and I even have had here on the show where I'm like, no, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting. It wasn't yeah. what I was looking for. I remember that. I remember one of them. Yeah. You weren't, right. you weren't crazy about it. And, and so that happens, but you're, you're never going to find those hidden gems if you don't go out exploring either. Absolutely too. You know what? They need free t- taste testings like they do in some stores. Why don't they do that with well, I guess they do that. With in, the, in the breweries, you can go in and ask, say, you know, I, I'm, this is what I'm interested in. What do you have? Can I try a thimbleful? And they'll, they'll let you try a little bit, which is nice. But I know they can't give you a, a huge glass to, to drink from. With all they do that at the um, the Guinness factory in, in Dublin. You, you you pay that as part of your, you know, your tour for the whole the tour. And then you get your pint at the end of the uh, And then if you're lucky you know, there's tons of people up there and, and people just get a picture with the pints. So you can go around and just finish up everybody else's pint uh, because everybody just takes a sip. And, yeah, <laughs> and then they're like, okay, not for me. And they pass it on. So you're, you're just Ex- picking up everyone's scraps from the table. Exactly. Before COVID, of course, actually the only person who didn't do that was the queen. Remember uh, she took, she took it and held a, had a picture with it, but I think she didn't drink it. Whereas I think Prince Philip did drink it anyhow. So uh, we thirsty, So we, uh, we need to say grace before beer or grace while you're having a beer for those yeah. of us. that. In my case, grace beer. after beer, because we took so long talking about the beers, but go on. There you go. So we'll start with grace before beer in the name of the father and the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race and grant through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body and peace in soul through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, one day you're going to let me say the grace before beer. Okay. Maybe after our 10th episode. Maybe after our 10th episode. After, well, so that would be next week then, sir, because happy happy anniversary. Cheers. Happy Happy anniversary. anniversary. Cheers. 10 episodes boy it doesn't feel it feels like about 100 are you sure it's only been 10 it's 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 only been 10 episodes and i think we're still feeling the process out and we're still kind of figuring out you know how we want to put this together we're still figuring out chatting back and forth with each other i'm still figuring out the the editing process but i think it's been growing and been doing a very good job at that too, Robert. For the most part, listeners, uh, Robert is the the brains behind the uh, operation. I'm mostly the brawn. But so, if, if you want to say grace before beer, then maybe you should take over the editing portion too. Excellent. Yeah, the editing process is a big chore, and I know you do spend most of your weekend doing that. Not to mention the planning. It's it, I, it's I get... it's like I talk to you for another whole day. 
Exactly. And I guess I'm here for my wit and wisdom. I would imagine those two things probably. Well, well. it's funny that you should say that because well in Peoria, it's it's finally in preparing for the 10th episode that I think I finally hit upon the raison d'etre, the reason why uh, we've started the Pints and Pews podcast. And again, I think I mentioned briefly last week, uh, this great little book I'm reading, The Spiritual Combat by Don Lorenzo Scupoli. And I came across a really short quote uh, from that, that I think sums up why we're here. Well, let's hear it. Accustom yourself to the person you find the most disagreeable and to the task you find most irksome, for there is no other way of acquiring habitual patience. <laughs> I, I didn't know if I would, wanted to shout out or jump to the computer when you read that out, but that is so good. That is so funny. So that is and the reason you, why have, we're here. We're both growing in patience. After three months, have you acquired that patience yet, Robert, or what? No, so I still have to talk to you. One of the things that we wanted to talk about a little bit this week was about prayer life. Uh, we just finished saying grace before beer. There is that uh, link, if you want, that you know all good things come from God's creation, and we need to give thanks for, for that. And we give thanks through our prayer life. I always find it funny, not funny, amusing, or funny, haha, but uh, kind of funny that Whenever you speak with someone about their prayer life, it's a very personal question. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes people uncomfortable to talk about their prayer life. Absolutely. You know what? It, you're, you're so true. People would rather talk about, you know, their financial situation than prayerful life. And that, that when you talk about prayerful life too, Robert, whenever I've talked, spoken to religious and especially priests, and, you know, when the one common theme, when I've spoken with them, you know, what keeps them, you know, going as a priest and being able to, and the the common thing was a solid prayerful life. And I think they would all attest to that, that they have to have that despite all the distractions and you would have that as a very busy parish in and around the city, but a a solid prayerful life. And that's, that's important. That's what they would say. Yeah, And I would think if you were to speak to laity who have a strong Mm -hmm. prayer life as well, they would tell you that that's kind of what keeps them on an even keel. Yeah. I know I've had some people come say, you know, you're always so calm and, and, and very even keel. You know, how, how are you able to do that? And I'll, I'll speak to, to prayer life. I'll say to them, though, like, that's not always the case. I've been known to blow off steam every so often as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a, a good prayer life does help keep a nice calm life i think it goes back to the the gospel reading from last sunday where the disciples were out in the boat and the storm brewed Mm -hmm. up over the lake uh, the sea of galilee you know the the boat was being tossed and on the waves and it was starting to be swamped and there was christ asleep in the stern and they wake him up and their teacher aren't you worried that we're you know, we're going to go down in the scene. He's like, why are you afraid? Do you not have any faith? And it's having that solid prayer life that helps calm the, the stormy waters in our lives. Uh, it doesn't mean that there is not going to be stormy waters 
in our lives, that there aren't going to be those tempests in our lives, but it does help us to navigate them. But I do know that when I, you know, people ask me about my prayer life, or actually more when I, I just share about my prayer life, people who say, you know, well, where were you? I was just down in the, the chapel praying. And you can see that a little bit of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Discomfort. Now, and, and you've why often is said that? Too, yeah, go ahead, Robert. Oh, no, I was just going to ask, why, why, why do you think people are, are uncomfortable to talk about their prayer life? I wonder if they want to get, maybe they want to get there, but they're not there. And they maybe wonder why you're at that level. You're able to do that, but yet they can't get to that level. And maybe it's just distractions in life. And I know that we've spoken about that before and you, and you've been down in chapel and I haven't, and it's, it's when you're in that solitude and that quietness, that's the most effective prayer, isn't it? Sometimes at mass, even though, you know, you're a mass and, you know, you're, you're going to receive communion, but there's a lot of distractions at mass. It's, and that's why you, you know, you frequent your adoration on Friday nights, just to get, a, you know, get away from people really, and just get alone with the Lord type thing. Yeah, no. And I, and I think you, you've hit on a, on a couple of things there. The, the first is that lack of perfection where everything in the world today, and especially with social media, social media calls for human perfection because all you see like in, the, in, the, in social media and the, the pictures on Facebook and Instagram or in the witticisms on Twitter, all you're seeing is that perfect snippet that people want you to see, mm-hmm. right? And right. so when you're seeing that picture of the, the perfect bedroom or the perfect living room or the perfect vacation home on Facebook, you're not seeing the disaster that's going on just outside of the frame. Yeah. Right. And so, like you said, you know, people are afraid that their prayer life needs to be perfect. Yet we all know uh, myself and yourself included. And I think anyone who's prayerful will tell you that their prayer life is not perfect. And you're constantly striving towards that. But because social media tells us we have to be perfect when we aren't perfect, that we feel like we're letting God down, we're letting ourselves down. And so that makes us uncomfortable mm-hmm. to, to humbly come out and say we're not perfect. And, may, and maybe things are so structured in people's lives and so with social media and stuff and that they think in order to have that perfect prayer life, they've got to carve out you know, a half an hour a day, but maybe they just have to start slow and, you know, two minutes a day, just take a, just take a moment wherever you are type thing, as opposed to trying to find the perfect spot to invite oh, the Lord into your life. Right. I, 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 I think prayers. you're right on that. In the that... car and the way to, to work type thing, or, you know, just quickly, you know, when you're alone or, or you know, whatever, wherever the case may be, whenever you can make that time. Exactly. Exactly. And whenever I've spoken with people about something like that, you know, I'll ask them, you know, would you be able to run a marathon tomorrow? And the answer is no. And our prayer life are, is the same. It's like a spiritual muscle. You have to build it up. Mm-hmm. You have to work at it. Spiritual muscle for sure. Right. And it does take time to get there. You cannot become a contemplative mystic overnight. Yeah. You need to work up to that. And the same way, you cannot run a marathon overnight. I mean, if I were to try to run a marathon tomorrow, I'd get about five minutes in and someone would have to call 911. 
Yeah. Because my body's <laughs> just not ready for that. I know. It's funny though. You, you say that it's like a spiritual muscle, but yet, you know, you have to kind of do it on a regular basis and get the mass every Sunday. But, you know, sometimes people don't have time to do that, but sometimes those same people, you know, you say you got to miss the gym for a, for a day. <laughs> There's no way they're missing that workout type thing. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid. And the other thing that you, you hit upon there that I think brings a lot of discomfort to people is silence. The world hates silence. Mm. And it's because when we do sit silently without the distractions, and when I say silent, it's not just quiet sitting there with our phone. Like, put the phone aside, put the computer aside, no music, just turn the TV off in the back. TV is off, complete and utter silence. And having that time to be alone with your thoughts and with your Lord. I can tell you the first few times you tried to have silence, again, it's like running the marathon. You can't expect to go sit for an hour in silence right off the bat. You got to start in small increments, like two to five minutes. And it's in that silence. And at the beginning, just getting the hamster to slow down on the wheel in your brain is hard enough. That, That silence eventually becomes so liberating. And I always like to share that, you know, pre-COVID times at the school, I would always on Fridays at towards the end of the lesson, take my class down to the chapel for adoration. We would do the the reading of the day, the gospel reading of the day. And then I would have them sit in silence. And I would only start with two minutes. We'd work them up to about seven minutes by the end of of the semester. But if you want to see a room full of teenagers squirm, have them sit in silence. No phone no communication with their friends. I make sure that there's two or three seats between them so that they can't poke each other. Yeah. Boy, that's hard. That's hard for an adult. That's really difficult for a teenager. But I remember now that you, you mentioned that, I think that was a few years ago back in when I was doing some studying at the uh, seminary, that was the homework from one of the professors, uh, a priest. And it was you, you need to just every day, wherever you are, take 10 minutes of silence, be it up in your room before you go to bed be it in chapel, first thing in the morning, that is your homework. And you know what? And unfortunately, that homework didn't last. But for the few weeks that I was doing that, that was really that was really eye-opening. Yeah. And when I asked my students at the end of the semester to, to write anonymously, so they just write on a little slip of paper mm. without their name, you know, their thoughts on that experience, and most of them say it was nice to have an excuse to disconnect. Mm. It, it was just nice to not be on for those five to 10 minutes to be able to say to whoever I couldn't answer your text or comment on your Snapchat or answer your call or meet you in the bathroom or wherever, because we were being forced to sit silently, but they thrived on that silence. That's the problem too. We don't disconnect anymore. Do we? No. And and our, our world won't let us. Yeah. Our world won't let us. And then one of the other things I, I hear from people when they want to talk about prayer or why prayer is not comfortable for them or why they let the practice uh, of prayer slide is they'll say, you know, God doesn't always answer. Mm-hmm. It's like they slip into spiritual dryness before they even get started. Right. 
and that and that's common with lay people but that's that's common with the saints as well too which is which gives one great hope is that if the saints could fall into spiritual dryness then we're okay we're we can get through that but that's a big one too and i that's one i've suffered from as well i i, I can definitely sit attest to that sometimes you wonder like you just think okay i'm praying is god answering my prayers maybe because you want this instantaneous reaction and you know you're not going to get that right in time you'll 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 get your prayers answered but i think a lot of people some of the great saints suffered from that did they not spiritual dryness yeah well the first one that comes to mind and, and a contemporary saint uh, is saint Teresa of calcutta mother Teresa. and right. i can't remember and you might be able to correct me what the number is on this i don't know if it was 25 years or 35 years she suffered from spiritual dryness she had that great vision on the train as to where god was calling her calling her, her life yeah. and what he wanted her to do for the littlest of his children and then after that that great vision there was nothing right and, and the great thing about that though is even though she suffered from spiritual dryness she still continued to do god's work throughout that it's not like she says okay now i i, I need another sign before i continue she did god's work throughout that and then, and yeah, that was mentioned in her, her memoirs after her, she passed that she did suffer from spiritual. And of all the people you thought that wouldn't suffer from spiritual dryness, certainly it was mother Teresa. And, and something that I was reading about that just recently, it was, you know, along the lines of that God permits this spiritual dryness to allow us to grow in humility, that mm -hmm. it's not all about us, because like you said, you know, nice. Mother Teresa, if she had had this vision calling her one way and then was experiencing spiritual dryness, well, if she were to say, well, I'm not going to do this, Lord, unless you show me another sign. Right. Well, then that's putting things on her terms and not on God's terms. Yeah. And, and it's and, never on our terms, as we know, right? Yeah, and our Lord himself asked that question. Why is this generation always asking for a sign? <laughs> yeah. Right. Why are we always testing God? And so I think a lot of us, are allowed to slip into spiritual dryness, not as a test, but as a way of reminding us that it's not all about us. It's not all about having that great spiritual consolation and, and riding the crest of the spiritual wave. Right? It's not about ourselves. It is about God and that we need to be putting God's needs first, putting God's will first before our own. Right. And working at it, like you say, too, like like you on a regular basis type thing. Yeah. And, and coming back to that notion that our spiritual life is is like a muscle that you need to keep working at it. Like you just and, and a certain time of the day is good, too. Right. If you have that sense where in the morning is your time, you know, mm -hmm. it's a regular it becomes a regular thing that often helps when it's a set time. R routine is key. And I think that comes with just about anything. Routine is key to make it habit forming. Right. And then as you make it habit forming and, and you're taking that time and you're, you're growing in that deeper spiritual awareness, again, not spiritual ecstasy, but in a spiritual awareness, I think then that allows for us to grow in our spiritual perception so that we can come to start recognizing when God is answering our prayers. So even in the midst of our spiritual dryness, we can have that wisdom to understand how God is answering our prayers. And it's not always going to 
being with the flashy signs or, or shouting from the rooftops, more often than not, God is going to whisper with his answers to our prayers. And we just need to open the eyes of our hearts, open the ears of our hearts to see and hear how it is that God is answering our prayers. Right. And the most unexpected ways as well, which is the great thing about, you know, certainly uh, God and the way he works is that we don't often expect it, but sometimes it's just, it, it goes almost in the opposite way we were expecting and it, and it becomes this blessing that we're given. Exactly. Exactly. I know for myself, I have found when I've gone looking for <laughs> spiritual consolation, it doesn't come. But in those moments where I'm not looking for it, in those moments where uh, I'm not going out of my way, looking for spiritual consolation, all of a sudden it comes out of nowhere. Absolutely. Uh, And one of the best examples I can give of that is uh, I read at Mass on Sundays. Right. And there are times where as I'm coming to the end of the reading, I will think to myself, I know I was reading. I know that was my voice I could hear, but it wasn't me speaking. <laughs> that I was like the reed and the Holy Spirit was speaking through me. Now, if I were to go on Sunday to proclaim the word of the Lord thinking, yeah, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak through me and I'm going to be his reed and it's going to overcome and it's going to be this fantastic spiritual experience. I reading I'll fumble over my words. I won't, <laughs> I won't have that same spiritual consolation. I'll be very cognizant of every mistake that I make. Every so pride, pride sneaks up on you like that. Then that's right. Humility it, has to kind of come back into the fore. Exactly. And again, that's where the, the spiritual dryness, if God is shouting an answer to our prayer, each and every time that we, we make it, we'll eventually tune them out as well yeah but that that notion of pride sneaking that it you know god is coming to me on my terms i'm not going to god on his terms yeah and i think it's important that as you mentioned too robert is that when we are going through that spiritual dry dryness as many of us have that it's god is still listening to our prayers and that in in time god will help us along the way and that uh we can't get despondent because the devil wants us to get despondent does he not Exactly, exactly. And you, you hit on this word a few minutes ago, the, the notion of perseverance, you need to persevere. Persevere, yeah. But just speaking about the perseverance, and I think that's a good point, especially in the pandemic, because it would have been easy. To, I thought a lot of people were just going to say, you know what, I'll watch it online, and then I'll mass online, and then eventually I'll go back, but I won't. But you, you, I'm surprised now that we're back in the church, and in, in my case, as we know, that we're signing up for Mass, how registration for Mass is quickly filled up. You know, if you don't get there the first or second day, so people are still saying, no, you know, it was nice online, or it was nice just saying prayers at home, but I need to get back to Mass. I need that, as you said, that routine in my life. I need that Sunday Mass. I need communion to go to Mass. I need to, you know, be with the priest. I need to be in communion with other people. And right there, communion, Communion, the Eucharist. You can't get the Eucharist from a live stream mass. You cannot. There there isn't a little dispenser. A nice prayer? You just can't. No, you you can't receive the Eucharist for that. And 
at the end of the day, I think that's what is bringing people back. That was what had people continually going to the communion services, even though it wasn't a full mass, people still needed to have the Eucharist. They still needed that communion with our Lord. And so that kind of brings us to our final segment of the show, our, our yes or no question, the, the, the question that you know, we put out there and we'll talk about kind of. Which you were quite surprised at the results it generated and, and, and the fact that it did generate, you know, quite, quite, uh, I don't want to say opposing views, but certainly there was, there was a, a certain popular, a, a certain percentage, a strong percentage that believed that uh, receiving on the tongue was certainly the more, how should we put that, Robert? It was the, the more popular option that, that was put out there. Now, and I really think I did open Pandora's box. So with this, <laughs> this final segment of the show, where we look at a, a question kind of from, from both sides, uh, one of the things I thought to do with it is to put a poll out on Facebook and Twitter and in LinkedIn, so on kind of various social media right. to kind of get a, a feel for kind of what is a more general opinion on these. And so the question that we wanted to talk about this week was, you know, should communion be received in the hand or on the tongue? Mm -hmm. And so a couple of days ago, I put a little poll out on Facebook, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, the same poll. And that question, what is your preferred manner to receive the Eucharist in the hand or on the tongue and Facebook I don't want to say exploded but I, I've not seen a discussion like that on anything I've posted before mm -hmm. and so yeah the, the the results on Facebook for the poll and again it's such a small sample size yeah. uh, out there with you know, 15 respondents said that they preferred to receive on the tongue uh, and three respondents on the poll itself said they would prefer to receive in the hand. There were a few comments that said that they were comfortable with either or. Okay. And some of them saying that that should have been one of the options on there. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Twitter only had one respondent and that was for in the hand. Uh, and LinkedIn had three for each. So okay. six respondents. And that was kind of half. Okay. Half. Interesting about the results. Before we get into the results themselves, Facebook, would you say, is an older demographic than Twitter and LinkedIn. So I'm just wondering, an older demographic, certainly maybe remember, uh, remembering times when it was much more common to receive communion on the tongue, whereas Twitter, much younger, LinkedIn, younger, I believe. Again, I'm just throwing this out there, would be much more comfortable or used to seeing communion on the hand at Mass. Is that possible with something like that? I don't know. Because I, that wasn't part of the question. I really don't know the, the age of the people responding to the question. The demographics of Facebook generally tend to be on the older side. Mm -hmm. Twitter, I think, is, is still quite middle-aged. Okay? Yes. Uh, but a different, a, a different kind of person, in my experience. I can't yeah, really maybe not that. middle, maybe a little bit more millennial Twitter. Would you agree? Not Facebook's a more of a middle age. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I'm, I'm talking for someone who I'm on neither. But what I do know is that maybe we should have prefaced that question when receiving on the hand, because you know when receiving on the tongue, 
almost to a person, everybody is very reverent when receiving communion. Whereas you, you know, when receiving on the hand, I mean, we have many different well, examples and, and, of receiving and, on the hand, <laughs> taking yeah. that communion and walking away and, you know, putting it eventually. And I mean, so I, I mean, reverently and, and with respect, receiving communion on the hand is maybe the way we would preface that. And I'm surprised those numbers for Facebook were that high on the tongue, especially when we put this a year and a half into the pandemic which is really interesting to me. Yeah, I, and and to me, that just made me start to wonder, you know, is, is the, the Catholic presence on Facebook more towards the, the conservative traditional mm-hmm. side? Good point. But Good again, point. In, in the comments, the, the comments came down on both ways. And you hit right. on one of the comments that I saw a few times on that, is that it, it doesn't matter as long as the Eucharist is received with reverence. And that's exactly it. So when, you know, unlike yourself, when you receive it on the tongue, when I receive it on the, uh, tongue, uh, in the hand, uh, Robert, at least, I mean, I've received it on the tongue for sure, but in the last few years on the hand, I make sure I bow before I, I receive uh-huh, the communion. Uh-huh. I respectfully take it in one hand and then, you know, put it respectfully into my mouth, but absolutely. So there has to be that reverence if you're going to receive it on the hand. I think that reverence is naturally there if you receive it on the tongue. I could be wrong, but for the most part, it's already there. Correct? Correct. Uh, I, I, I think so. I think so, because a lot of the people that are receiving on the tongue will also receive while kneeling, and they're doing this out of sign of respect and humility before the Lord. That being said, receiving on the hand with a profound bow. Yes, absolutely. Receiving... Uh, and allowing the Eucharist to be placed in your hand. Right. Consuming right away. Right. Well, they won't let you do that now in pandemic times. They ask you to take a few steps. You take a step yeah. to the side, and right. but you're still receiving yeah. but, right but away. But normally, here. absolutely right away. Yeah. And, and one of the things that came yeah. out of the, the, the Facebook conversation on that, like we said, as long as our Lord is being received respectfully, Right. is also to, regardless of which side of the question you come down on, to be respectful of the choice of others on how they receive. That's an excellent point, Robert, an excellent point. And that came up in a couple of different groups, right? Because I posted the question in a number of different groups. Uh, and that question, that, that answer, that notion of that we need to respect the choice of others, because both ways to receive communion is licit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right and, now, but, again, we, in pandemic times, at least in our archdiocese, you're not to receive Eucharist on the tongue. Right. And we don't know if people have, you know, always received communion on the tongue and then they had compromised immune systems and decided a couple of years ago that they just couldn't risk something that they needed to receive it on the hand. Yeah. So you're right. We have to respect that. And if people want to receive it on the tongue. And I remember, you know, when you say that if there is an altar rail, I remember a, a mass for a funeral of a, a, a friend of a mother. Um, a friend's mother there a few years ago and it was on the tongue and it was at an altar rail in downtown Toronto. And it was the most beautiful. I mean, there was the sense of, there's a sense of sacredness to it. Oh, sacredness that you, and you, and the anticipation that you're going to receive the Lord as you, as you take your spot on that altar rail, waiting for the priest to come along the line. It was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. But from that notion of respecting each other, those people that choose to receive on the tongue kneeling, you know, mm-hmm. should not look sideways at those who are receiving no. standing and in the hand, okay? And the same as those that receive standing and in the hand, 
you know, should not be looking at those who choose to kneel and receive on the tongue and think, well, who do they think they are? Yeah. Right. No, and we get that sometimes at mass and you don't often, but you get a couple, mostly during the times I've gone to, to daily mass is that people will kneel right in front of the priest and receive that. I, you see, you know, not often, but I've seen that a couple of times. So there's no altar rail in it, and they'll just get on their knees. And, and yeah, that absolutely. Yeah, but and, getting- and what ended up happening is that this question ended up degenerating into a discussion for oh. and against traditionalism. Okay, okay. And that's what you didn't want, right? No. You you definitely didn't want that. Right. Because having said that, our next down the road, we'll have to ask about ordinary ministers and extraordinary ministers. And that's for a different discussion. That is for a different discussion. And and I can share, because I was extraordinary minister of the Eucharist for a while in in our former parish. Uh, And, you know, you made the comment you alluded to earlier when you were talking about as far as receiving on the hand and, and people just kind of walking away because you know receiving communion on the in the hand does open itself up to maybe some abuses that you know maybe not intentional i would sincerely hope that those abuses are not done intentionally but you're right it does open itself to to more abuses for sure and uh, in the parish you know having to chase people down and asking them to to consume the eucharist right away uh finding uh the eucharist in the the book holders, you know, where the, where the hymnals are. Right. We had the same thing at our church in the choir loft. And the priest said, I, I'm not taking that up there anymore. Yeah. Thing. You have to come down for, yeah. So yeah. these things will happen. Yeah. And and the one as extra minister of the Eucharist, just before we, we finish up on that, um, I always said, like I said earlier, you know, when receiving in the hand, wait for it to be placed in your hand. I don't know how many times people would reach out and with thumb and forefinger, Pinching and grab the Eucharist. What? Out no, of I don't my believe hand. that. Now, I don't believe that. Yeah, so you're, you're holding that the Eucharist up in front of them, and you're saying "Body of Christ," and they're just grabbing it out of your hand. And so those people, I always refer to as the body snatchers. Oh my right. god! I, I didn't even think that happened. Isn't that interesting? That 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 still happens. And then to, just finishing up on that. Another, oh, and then the other thing is, no, no, no. When oh, they've got it down, they've got their hands cupped down below their waist. Like looking for the body of Christ. Can you put your hands in front of, in front of the minister or whatever that? Do you ever get that where you have to put the whole soul low down? Yeah. Oh, uh, anything and everything. Oh, um, and again, like you said, that's a discussion for, for another day. Yeah. And we're not here to chastise anyone. We're not here to, to call anyone out. And it's not a lesson on how to receive the Eucharist. But like you said, Dennis, whether you're receiving on the tongue or in the hand, it needs to be received reverently. With reverence, absolutely. That's the one common denominator, right? And and then one other comment that came up that surprised me, and Mm -hmm. I learned from this, um, I had a a commenter saying, you know, that that within that form, it wasn't just Latin Rite Catholics, it wasn't just Roman Catholics, but there were Eastern Rite Catholics in there as well. And he says, you couldn't let us add our options to the poll. And, and he pointed out, so in the, the Byzantine, right, mm-hmm. they will receive communion on a golden spoon. Mm. Boy, you talk about reverend. That sounds, doesn't that sound like you're just getting something super, super special? You're, you're, you're being fed the body of Christ. You're, you're like a child being fed the body of Christ. And it needs to be, if it's going to be a spoon, it needs to be a golden spoon. A, a this golden is something spoon. special you're getting. It's, it's not just a plastic picnic, sco- right. picnic spoon. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then 
The other is that in the Coptic Catholic tradition is they will do intinction. So they will take the host, the body of Christ, and they will dip it within the sacred blood of Christ and then will be placed on the tongue. Okay. Yeah. Right. And the Coptics have faced so much persecution that if they're doing that and they're still following the faith, I mean, more power to them. We could take a couple of notes from the Byzantines and the Coptics for sure. Oh, and, and again, that's what it's our Catholic faith. It's a universal faith. It's a tapestry. And like you say, there's so much that we can learn from them. And, and I'd like to think that there's so much that they, that they could learn from us. From us as, as well. well. But again, too, I, you know, moving forward, I don't know. Do I continue to put these questions out there and see what happens? The other flip side of that is, is having the time to follow along with these conversations. Like I see the Pandora's box that, that I opened up. Well, well, you I said think- you opened up a discussion. So maybe if you want the view, the listenership to, to uh, you know, put their two cents in, maybe you just put a, you know, put the question itself without the comments. But then the comments were really interesting. Right? It, it was in the comments where I learned more than the poll could have told me Mm -hmm. right but again too it needs to be done reverently it needs to be done respectfully Respectfully. and it's not against us against them it's certainly not a you know a liberalism versus traditionalism after all is this catholic church and as we know small c catholic is a universal church like you just said previously robert so it is a church for all and we're not here to kind of put people into certain categories, right? Yeah, and, and that's one thing that drives me absolutely bananas is when we start uh, politicizing the faith. You know, I'm a conservative Catholic. I'm a liberal Catholic. No, yeah. we're Catholics. We're Catholics, absolutely. We're Catholics. And, you know, we have our little differences in terms of, you know, but we, we believe in what the church teaches. We believe in the Pope as the head of the church. And we're so lucky to be going to Mass every Sunday. I mean, I... Thanks be to God. It's, it's, my, it's the highlight of the week for sure. So just before we, we finish up, you wanted to, to mention, uh, God willing, who we have on tap for next week. Oh, I think that, you I'm know. Not, not, and who we have on tap, what we have on tap. I mean, that kind of is when I go to the beer fridge and, and pull out whatever is towards the front. That's what's on tap. But who do we have on tap for, for next week? Well, I think that since you made the call and you made the, I think you should, uh, even though we both know him well and we're extremely excited to have him on the show why don't you uh give the uh, listenership a just a brief bio of our first guest next so week. Our, our first guest and we're really excited about this he's a actually a good like you said a good friend of ours father matt mccarthy who is the vocations director here at the archdiocese of toronto uh, has agreed to come and join us on the pines and pews podcast so we're going to have a few questions for him not just his own faith story, but talking about vocations and ways. And for those, if you want to kind of get to, to know who Father Matt is a, a little bit beforehand, I would suggest going on YouTube and looking up Matt McCarthy violin would probably be the, the best way to find him on YouTube as he's done some magnificent musical work on YouTube. So not only is he a, a, a fantastic priest i mean he has to be a fantastic priest if the cardinals put him in charge of vocations absolutely yeah that's a, you talk about a tough job and did it in 2021 but go on and not only does he have the the soft hands uh when it comes to playing the violin but he also has soft hands around the net uh, i've played hockey with him and he's a member of the flying fathers and so hopefully we'll be able to chat a little bit 
about played play basketball for quite a long time too, I believe. But we don't want to give too much away. We just want to say he's he's pretty new to the profession, is he not? If we can say profession to the vocation of priesthood. He's only been a priest maybe five, six years. I would say five or six years because he was two or three years. We actually got to know Father Matt as a seminary. And again, we're getting into next week. We're getting into next week. We're, we're getting we're into next week. So yeah, we don't want to let everything out of it. So Father Matt McCarthy, the vocations director from the Archdiocese of Toronto, will be joining us. But you know uh, that if he's been a priest for five or six years and he's already the director of vocations for the Archdiocese of Toronto, one of the obviously the biggest in Canada, one of the biggest in North America, he's a pretty impressive man. There's something special there. There's something special there for sure. And then two, we have... And the fact he has a name, an Irish last name, that doesn't hurt either. There you go. You you finally had to find weasel away and just as we're finishing you find a way to bring the, the irish into that you had to i have nothing to cheer for in the euro this month right with ireland and northern ireland both knocked out but go on okay so and so thinking of the euro as we finish up if you can say a prayer for my family for tomorrow uh, as belgium takes on portugal <laughs> so there's you know my my belgian heritage and my wife's portuguese heritage will be clashing on the soccer pitch tomorrow. So if you could say a prayer for us. By the time this gets out and listeners are listening to it, they'll already know the result of that game and whether or not I'm sleeping in the shed. But uh, I forgot about that. That's going to be a tough match to watch in in your house there, Robert. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But so, Dennis, as always, the time seems to have flown by. As always, Robert, it's been a pleasure, uh, both the pint and especially the conversation this week. Especially the pint, especially the pint, the, the, the pint that has my name on it, the bear hug. Out of Yeah, but you know what? It's always a pleasure to talk about the faith and especially this week. It, like you said, it's been a long week and it, it's been a tough week. And I was feeling a little bit, you know, as the week ended, I was like, oh, you know, and then and then just talking about the faith for this hour has just kind of given me a lift this weekend for sure. And it, or talking to me has given you a lift, but that's. I, I, talking to you always gives me a lift, Robert. Yeah, well, and, and as we said off the top, for you, it, talking with you helps me grow in patience. No, <laughs> and I say that uh, uh, <laughs> to tease you a little bit, but you know, very true that you know, talking about the faith is always a pleasure. And just before we wrap up, perhaps there's just one quick favor we could ask our listeners. Right, and if you could just take one quick moment, because Robert does so much behind the scenes and organizing this podcast and editing, etc. So if you could take a, you know, just a couple of clicks to follow the Pint and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, why don't you give us a like on Facebook and drop us a line? Let us know what you'd like us to, a topic you'd like us to chat about, or maybe suggest a, a guest for us to have. So God willing, we'll chat again next week. And until then, remember the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless. God bless.